Okay, true or false? Got to listen now. There are two persons in me battling against each other. I have two natures. One is the old me, and the other one is the new me. I have an old nature and a new nature. Stick it to the guns. Nobody else is making any answer out there. Well, According, the old me is dead. What's that? The old me is dead. So what would that be then? True or false? That would be false. Oh, so we got a true and we got a false going on here. Do we actually have two natures in us? Do we have two persons that battle it out? And this is the heart of Romans 6 and 7. And, you know, where we've been and, and where we're going here. And I will say that most of the church, the evangelical church today, would say that you have two natures and they're battling it out. You have your old man and you have your new man and they're battling. Well, uh, Anne Graham Watts kind of solidified that to me, that this is pretty well the evangelical thought of our day. Because as I was listening to Bot Radio yesterday, Anne Graham Lotz came on, and she's a very respectable person, you know, how, like she has a lot of really good things to say. But uh, she said this, There are two persons in me battling. I have the old nature versus the new nature. And that explains why we have the sin problem and temptation that seems to have victory. Uh, and I go, oh my. What she has just said is exactly opposite of where we have been studying in Romans 6 and Romans 7. And that was all set up by Romans 5 with the first Adam and the second Adam. Here's the thing. Penny said this. The old man died. Right? God killed him. We died at really at the cross. We came alive new in the resurrection. But it, it sounds almost really tricky the way that I put it because we do have a battle. But what we talked about so much, we are a slave of sin before Christ and we are now a slave of righteousness and that's where we left off last week. Uh, but the fact is, we do have a battle but it's within our body within our members the capacity to sin is because of our we have still human eyes that are not uh, born again right they're not redeemed uh, ears the tongue hands feet all of that is what makes up and even our thinking all of that has to be changed all the time so we cannot let that dominate so that's our battle. It's within our body, the members. And Romans 7 will say that very clearly as we get into it in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, we're doing the first six verses today. So what she said, most people would agree with. And it sounds really good if somebody say, well, that's just technical. But the thing is, is that we have been pointed out that we died. Something died. It was the old man. And we'll, and we'll kind of prove that as we go on. But... In Romans 6, 6, it said, Knowing this, know this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be useless so that we'd no longer be slaves to sin. And we're not slaves, but we sure battle, don't we? So that is where we're kind of getting into. So Paul makes another amazing statement as we're into Romans 7. He says, uh, you know, we've heard him say this before, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now what does Paul mean when he makes that statement, you're no longer under law, but under grace? Does that mean we no longer have to live our lives according to God's standards? Well, Paul has made that clear, and it goes back to uh, the end of chapter 5, where he said, in verse 20, the law came so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So grace abounds. So what's the next question? 
of somebody who is a Jewish person who goes by the law or somebody who is saying well that means oh great then we can do whatever we want we can sin all we want because we're under grace and not law that's why he says what should we say then are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase should we just go ahead and sin that would make God's glory even more uh, I, I guess visible demonstrated in a way that, hey, he can really show off his glory and forgiveness and such the more that I sin. And, of course, that's a preposterous statement, but he has tackled that in Romans 6, and as we go into this new chapter, 7, and uh, so Paul is saying, you're not under law? Well, any Christian will be able to tell you, well, the law is important, isn't it? Isn't it important? Yeah, it sure is. You look throughout the Old Testament and you see the law. And it definitely was a part of that. And then people would say, yeah, but the New Testament changed. Well, we have the law in the New Testament and some of those laws, those laws are mentioned. The Ten Commandments and such. Um, So we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. Matter of fact, the law is wrapped up into really two commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two wrap up everything because that means you wouldn't do anything to offend God or to offend anyone that is your neighbor, which means anybody. So that is the idea. The New Testament actually upholds and makes the law a very high standard, doesn't it? New Testament really shows how great the law is. Why is it great? Because it represents the nature of who? God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is good. The law is all of that. The law in itself is good. So we have this, for you're not under law but under grace. So the question has come up before, hasn't it, for Paul? And uh, what is the believer's relationship to the law, I think, is what our question should be. What is our relationship then to it? We were once, once under law, right? Okay. Romans 7 is going to give us the full answer to what the law is about and how it relates to us. We're not under the law as a dominating master. We've already seen that. We are bonds. We are slaves, aren't we? We are slaves. Before Christ, we're slaves to Satan, sin, unrighteousness. And when we become belonging to Christ, we are His, we now serve righteousness, we are a slave of righteousness. That is what our dominating master is. So, what does the law do before you are a Christian? It condemns you. That is basically what it's about. It will render you guilty. It destroys you. It brings us condemnation. That's what the law is to do. It's a taskmaster. But it's also a schoolmaster. It brings us to Christ. So we are under grace as an operative principle through the work of Christ, what He did on the cross and our faith in Him. Now, do we have a new relationship to the law? How about a new relationship as far as sin is concerned? Yeah, in Romans 6, uh, 6 the chapter that we just finished, 15 to 23, we used to be the slaves of sin. Now we're the slaves of righteousness. So our relation to the law was condemnation. And now our relationship to the law is obedience. (coughs) Because now we have a mindset of wanting to do what is right. Don't we want to do what God wants us to do? Do we hate it when we have sinned? And of course, Romans 7, as we develop this, you can see exactly where we're going. I do the things that uh, I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I should be doing. That's why Romans 7, that part comes up. And so, uh, we know that righteousness is revealed by the law. 
Oh, you mean the law is good? We can use the law now? Yeah. Because it no longer condemns us, we have a great relationship with us. You're not under law. What about that statement? Well, how far can we push that? We're not under law. It's an important question that needs to be answered. That's what chapter 7 is about. And that's what we're going to unfold right here at the very beginning of this. Let's uh, read the, the first six verses of chapter 7. Let's stand. Uh, and all of this that I just told you about is really nothing new, right? But let's see how the depth of this goes here today. we we'll see this in even more new light than we've seen it before. It's fresh. The Word of God is fresh every day, isn't it? Or do you not know, brethren, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to Him, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Let's pray. Father, what a precious passage You've given us. And even though we know we're not under law and we're under grace, the process of getting to that point is miraculous. Being changed, the transformation that You did. You caused us to die. And You set us free to serve You. And thank You, Lord, for giving us the power, the very strength and ability now to desire Your good law because it is good and holy and righteous and it reflects who You are. Now we want to follow what that is. In Jesus' name, Amen. Freedom from the law. Almost a oxymoron, isn't it? Well, um starts off with, or do you not know, brethren? Uh, it's dealing with, uh, you're not ignorant, are you? <laughs> uh, this is a general principle, what he puts forth, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Uh, this is a general principle that nobody can argue with. There's no way that you can have conflict with this very verse. I do want to tell you this is a controversial chapter as we begin. It's a great chapter, but there is much difference in the body of Christ in the evangelical realm of that on what this chapter is all about. And that's why we study to show ourselves approved and that other side might have passages too. They're very legitimate and like we say, it sometimes it looks like a matter of semantics, but it's not. Uh, we have to remember that we died and we came to life and resurrected Christ. That life is no longer here. Dennis Helton, the one that was born, is not the same man. Of course, I was not born a man. I was a little infant. 
But that's the person that we're talking about. So this is a self-evident truth here, right? You're under the law as long as you live. Until you die, you are going to be under an authority of law. You may not like it, you may not follow it, but somewhere along the line, you have to follow certain aspects of the law, whether you like it or not, you do, or you'll be forced to go by the law as much as you can be by putting you behind bars. (laughs) But uh, he says literally, are you ignorant, brethren? They're not ignorant. No, they're not, because they know. Now this uh, word brethren, you can say, well, who is that? That's Christians, right? Or Jewish people. If he's speaking to the Jewish people and they are really speaking up the law and such and heralding it and, and Paul's talking grace and he's speaking to Jewish people, definitely. He's speaking to Christians, definitely. But he's also speaking to Gentile unbelievers. They all have a law. Everybody is under an authority. As long as they live, if you're living here on earth, you have an authority over you. Now, the word law, let's get into that just for a moment. That's a universal moral law. All people everywhere have some kind of standard of behavior. Communists have a standard of behavior. They have laws there. Uh, Democracies. Have laws. You have to have laws. Why do you have to have laws? Well, because man is sinful. That's why we have the Constitution and all the amendments that were put forth of what was uh, you could do, what you can't do. Otherwise, sinners take advantage of that and they walk all over each other and then finally they would destroy each other. It would be uh, a horrible place. Even the worst of governments have at least some kind of law... Not a lot of it you agree with, but that's the way it is. Now, uh, we all have our personal little laws. Little children have laws. Their law is, hey, how would you like it if somebody was doing that to you? Now, adults would be the same way, right? But don't you hear about, you know, like some little kid is getting beat up. Man, I mean, his sister is just pounding him on the head. So I'd say, hey, leave him alone. He isn't doing you any harm. Isn't that a law in itself? Why is that? Because it's built in. Everybody has a general principle law of anything that's dealing with, whether it be something harmful or something bad that's spoken or just on and on and on. All persons feel bound to live in some kind of a moral system. Whether they're atheist or not, they have a moral law, don't they? Uh, a lot of people break the moral law, and we've broken the law. We feel guilty, or we just try to cover it up, you know, whatever. <laughs> but the thing is, we'll make excuses for our behavior no matter what. But would you say that all are under the law and are condemned by it? Would you, would you say that? Everybody says that. When you really think about it, have it explained. Paul is dealing with Romans 7, and it's a universal human problem. Man is a sinner. Man breaks the law that is good, right? So, so that, is that God's law? Well, ultimately, it is God's law because He's put it in the heart of everybody of right and wrong. The only thing is, is we've come so far. In this world today, that right is wrong and wrong is right. And they have actually believed it now, and, and their conscience is so seared that they can't even tell the difference between right and wrong. It used to be that everybody knew what was right and wrong, now it's being rewritten and just, it, it's, it's something we don't even identify with. Okay, uh, it says here that that's brethren, right? And law. So we've spoke about those two terms. The law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. The word now is jurisdiction. Or authority. Or to lord it over. To have dominion. The law is over us. That's why we are under a law, right? The law lords it over us as long as we are alive. As long as you live here on earth, you're under the law. You know, as far as what the law is here in this country and such. 
So, uh, then it says this, as long as you live. What's that mean? Well, you cannot sue a dead man. Because that dead man is he's not here. He does not exist. He's dead. The law cannot do anything about a dead man, no matter what he's done. He cannot be now underneath the authority of the law. You say, well, don't they have trials for people who have killed somebody else? And then that murderer then dies, he kills himself. Do they have a trial for that? Well, they shouldn't, because the man is dead. You can't, you can't have, you're not under the law when you're dead, folks. Do you get what I'm saying now? And as this develops, this dying that we learned about in Romans 6 really comes out. Because we died to the law. We died to sin. Our old man is dead. Our old nature is dead. That's what's so important to pick up when we were in Romans 6. Do you see how Romans 6 and 7 and then 8, they all connect? If you were reading a mystery book, would you just pick it up say, I think I'll read this today. You know, wherever it lands, you like that right there. Start reading it. And, you know, you do that day after day, and then after a while it's like... But boy, when you read a story, you want it to connect all the dots. Like the Old Testament, we do it. We treat it a little differently than we do here. We, we kind of do verse by verse, but... Yet we don't take everything apart because it's a story that just flows and everybody kind of gets that. You know, you don't have to tell every detail. Sometimes you ruin it when you get into every detail, but it flows. But uh, here we are here trying to define this. So I am emphasizing here, and this is what Paul is saying. The law doesn't have power over you when you're dead. Uh, when we die, we are freed from the law. He said, boy, that'll be great, won't it? Well, it's already happened. You're freed from the law. It's null and void at death. When we die, we are freed. Everyone agrees on this point, right? That's what he's saying here. Everyone does agree with that. It's, Paul starts this argument, and he lays the principle down. Now, the general principle is right there. You die, that's it. Now you're not under the law. If you're alive, you're under the law. You die, not under the law. Free. Okay. We've really hammered on that one, right? Now, let's move on. And what Paul is going to do is say, okay, you know, he's dealing with some pretty tough people here, and they have to agree with And this is a great place to start with people who don't believe in Christ. Start with something that they would believe. Uh, get some credibility with them. They're saying, well, yeah, that's that's right. That's that, Yeah, that's true, right? And so he says, okay, I'm going to draw it out here for you. A picture is worth a thousand words. So in verse 2 and 3, we get the picture. And it's just as easy as verse 1. Matter of fact, it's even easier. But the only thing is every interpreter and commentator wants to make it harder than what it really is. It is so simple. And that's what Paul meant to do. He didn't mean to preach a sermon on marriage. And so don't try to take it into, oh, this is a message about uh, husband and wife and how they are to treat each other. That's nothing to do with that. I would not preach. I would not, I'm not going to do a wedding. I'm not going to preach a, a little message on, on this out of Romans 7. Because that's not really what it's saying. You say, what are you talking about? For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, and she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Now, the illustration here is following on the heels in chapter 6 first few verses was dealing with the um, baptism illustration. We're baptized into Christ. Um, Jesus died. He was crucified. He was buried. And He rose again. 
Romans 6, first four verses, right? And we too were crucified with Him. We were buried and then rose into new life. Good picture, right? Second picture that we dealt with in chapter 6 was slavery. We are slaves to sin and then we are slaves to righteousness. It's one or the other. It can't be both. So there is the, the case there. Uh, and now we get to the third illustration of husband and wife, uh, marriage. A case of a woman. She's married to a certain man. The illustration of marriage here is just brought out, I think, very clearly. And we know that uh, if you draw that out to man's relationship to sin, okay, uh, in the sense that here's what we were. We were in Adam but we were taken out of Adam and no longer with in the you know and so we were under the bondage of the law of God and then we were freed from that and now we were free to follow another and that's what he's going to try to build up out of this and like I say this is really simple it's not an allegory you can just beat this to death and say well the, the woman means this and the man means this well, really it's not an allegory at all don't try to make it an allegory it's an illustration and if you try to make it certain things then you're going to run into all sorts of trouble when you go a little bit further in the scripture here and it will not make sense at all it's just this he said okay you're, you're living under the law. When you live, you're under it. When you die, you're not. And all he's saying here, here's how it is. When you're, uh, let's say a woman, you're married to a man. Your man dies. The, see, the man dies in this case. And the woman now is, she was under that law. But whenever he dies, she now is free to have another man be her husband. Not before that, if she takes another man while she's married there, the Jewish law here says that, what do we have? We have adultery. But his point is not marriage, it's not even adultery, it's not a message on that, on family life or anything. Do you get the, the figure of where we're going right here? It's just as simple as this. As soon as he dies, you're free to get married again. You can do that. Okay, that's the principle there could be a lot of things underneath that. We're not even. We don't even have to go there. Um, that, but that's that's the idea. Until there is death, the law says they are to remain married. Till death do you part. And there's where the, the marriage part does come in, because there's an oath that is always said: "Till death do us part." Now a lot of those oaths have probably been removed from our realm today. I don't know. Not all say until death do us part, but that's really the when you're making a promise, a covenant to this partner, it means something, and it means to all the witnesses there that we're, we are staying together till death do us part. Now there are things that can come up, and and yeah, I don't even get into that. But this is a general principle. It's black and white. He makes it simple, right? <clears throat> that's that's a thought. Uh, the, the husband who dies now releases the wife from the law. He's dead. She's free from the law. Now the point is, is death is what ends the relationship of that old life. When we start to get somewhere, we're starting to get now into the application. She's free to do as she chooses as her husband is now dead. His death set her free. That means now she has a new, a new relationship. So we get into verse 4, and this is the application for us. So we saw the principle, then he illustrated it for us. Has Paul made it really clear for us here? I mean, it is just black and white. It's easy to understand. What's this mean for us? It's easy to understand. It really is, and that's what Paul is doing. What, what he does now is he's saying, here's the way that you passed from one relationship to another. Romans 6.6, 6, as I uh, read earlier, knowing this, that our old self, that old nature, the old me, was crucified with Him. 
Crucified means what? Death. In order that our body of sin might be done away with or rendered useless so that we no longer be slaves to sin. There it is. There's the death. Remember the law of death? No longer are you under that law? This is why Paul can say we are not under the law but we're under grace. What happened to us? We died. The old you died. And so the, the wife was set free. We are set free from that law. The old relationship. That was our relationship. The law. We were crucified. We now have a new relationship as we enter into Christ. You had a relationship to God before God's law. And your relationship was not good. You were condemned. The relationship that you now have is entirely different. We were under God and His law, but now we're under grace. The law has no authority, no dominion over me. I am dead to the law. Go to Hebrews 10.10. 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By Him taking away that ceremonial sacrificial law that he is stating in verses before this. He takes away the first, as he says right there in verse 9, the law to establish the second. He renders it useless because it has no place now and it's now in him, the law of Christ. And we're sanctified through that offering. One time, one body there is Christ that did that. Look in Romans 6.14. It says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under a law, but under grace. That means sin is not our master anymore because we die. The law is not our master anymore because we died. And that's why I really hit it on it so hard that we don't have two natures fighting in there because if, that, if they're fighting, it's what happened to that old man? Did he come back to life? Forbid, right? We are one person. We have one nature. The rest of Romans 7 will explain what the problem is, though. I know what you think. You say, yeah, but I still sin. Well, let's go to Galatians 2.20. And Paul gets to that. But here's the fact. Never forget the fact. And so I think what happened was Aidan Graham Watts forgot the fact of what Romans 6 was all about. She didn't get it. She missed the whole point. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Righteousness cannot come through the law. It is impossible. The law cannot give you righteousness. You say, well, that's not good. He said the law was good. No, it was never designed to give you righteousness. The law is good, but it cannot give you righteousness. Grace does. Christ does. His death does. So it was necessary, wasn't it? Christ cross and all of that gospel story. What about the law? 
doesn't the gospel we preach annul the law and set the law aside? Paul's answer is saying the law is fully honored. The law is fully satisfied. The law is upheld. And it's Christ who fulfilled it. Because He had a perfect life. And the death then qualifies us then to get in on that. It's liberating, isn't it? It's necessary. If we're supposed to be stepping forward more and more in Christ, the law is necessary for a moral, fruitful life. So we've already pointed out we're not under law but under grace, but yet now we bring the law back into it. You can say, Dennis, I thought we were done with the law then. This is confusing. No, it's not the way that Paul has illustrated this and given us the thought of we died and now we are anew in Christ. What goes on here now in Romans 7 is a logical order. We're still in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ what he did once for all so that you might be joined to another remember the uh, husband and wife illustration he dies she can now join another to him who was raised from the dead there's the power that's how it happens that's how we become dead Because He made us to die, it says right here in verse 4, and then He was raised from the dead, who's raised with Him, in some way, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Okay, now we get into the last part of this. This is sanctification. What is sanctification? To be set apart. When does sanctification start? The moment that He's brought us into the family of God. We're justified, but we're also sanctified. Do do you keep getting justified? Oh, no, we're not. Thank the Lord, right? Because justification is a one-time event. That doesn't happen over and over unless you lose your salvation and then you gain it. And oh my, that, that just opens up a big bag of worms, doesn't it? That can't happen. No, we are justified forever. We're saved forever because of what He did. Okay, sanctification is an ongoing process for the rest of our life. We are being set apart from sin to God. We desire Him more and more. Do we see what Paul is working out here? Are we getting the idea whenever somebody says, Oh, you're not under law. Huh? You're under grace. Oh, well, you can just do whatever you want, right? Paul is working it out. What about the law? Well, it's fully honored in Christ. What's the object of our new relationship now? Right at the end of verse 4. Yeah, you said obedience, which is really what this is coming to. In order that we might bear fruit for God. To bear fruit. You remember when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. What do branches bear? Fruit. The fruit that is produced in the vine comes out on the branches. Sometimes the fruit is really, really small at first, but it grows. The fruit, it's the fruit of righteousness. We have entered into a new relationship and it's fruitful. A fruitful relationship to Christ. It happens by our what? Our dying to the law. If we have not died to the law, can we bear fruit for Christ? No, we can't. We have to die. That's how it's possible that now we can have a fruitful relationship. His death becomes our death. When we die in Him, we die to the law. 
And we rise to Him, we now rise to a new relationship. And so we are to be fruitful. Now in a physical relationship, you had Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply. Physically, that happened. It was God's command to them. And so has all of humankind all the way up to our time. Be fruitful, multiply. God is the one who gives the life, doesn't He? Uh, in the spiritual aspect, we have righteousness produced by the Holy Spirit. And because we died and came to life, He now has started fruitfulness. Springtime of the year is one of the best illustrations, isn't it? It was dead during the winter and all of a sudden it came to life. And you have trees bearing fruit. Look at Philippians 1, verse 11. Having been filled with the fruit of what? Righteousness. Which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It didn't come through being an Adam, did it? But it came through Christ. If you are a Christian, I do want to tell you, you have fruit. Every Christian has fruit. Sometimes we really have to put a magnifying glass on us. <laughs> But every Christian has fruit. Why is that? Because life came from Christ. No matter how much sometimes we battle and struggle, God is making sure the fruit is there and growing. He's the one doing it. Although, now we have the desire to be more fruitful and abound even more. And you know what? If that's the case, He will make that happen even more. If you take care of a tree, and uh, maybe especially first you water it, make sure that it gets everything that it needs, it will grow. And it will grow quicker than it would have if you wouldn't have given it water. Sometimes you don't give a tree water. Uh, it's trying to grow. It may not live. Colossians 1.10. We're talking about the fruit of righteousness, right? Let's look at Colossians 1.10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Look at this. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is sanctification. This is what it's about. When you're in Romans 6, and especially in 7, you're seeing sanctification all over the place, and we're back in it. It's God who gives the life. He gives the fruit. We bear it. We work all this out. He works in us. We work it out. The point of the illustration now of the woman who has a husband and the husband dies, she now is free from the law that says to stay married to him because he's not under that law anymore. He is dead and now you're not bound to him. Well, we died and we are joined to Christ to be what? To be fruitful. Not just to become Christians and then that's it. No, to be fruitful, even here and even now. We are to live a holy life. What does sanctified mean? It means to be holy. Uh, I, I remember, uh, let's see, uh, the Spanish Bible is called Santa Biblia. And I thought, that is really interesting. What is Santa? Well, it converts to saint or holy. That's interesting. Santa Claus. So, sanctified, sanct, 
It was a group called Sanctus Real. Uh, you can think of a lot of that uh, sank, and it, it means to be holy and to be righteous. And this is God's object all along that we would be made holy and righteous. And that happens in this life. We are in the process of what? Sanctification. So what is it? Three big words. Justified. Say it with me. Sanctified. And then later, glorified. And that's where it all takes. Right now, He's working on us to be holy, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy. Be holy for I am holy, says God. And eventually we'll get into the glorification, which means that we will be absolutely holy. Without sin, everything is perfect. Everything, every moment we will look forward to, there will never be a dread ever for eternity. You would never ever dread going back to work on a Monday morning. Because it is all glorious. Oh yeah, happy Monday, right? It's happy Monday, Tuesday, all the way through the week. I don't know, do we even have days of the week there? Uh, probably. <laughs> Why not? God made it. But what's His object for us to be holy? Uh, and really, you know what His ultimate is? Uh, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God, right? What is the chief end of God? To glorify us. So that we can glorify Him in our fullest. Does He really want to glorify? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what it's all about. That's the whole aim. There is an end to this. And the end is only the beginning. Eternity. We're already in that. Okay, the fourth one. We're almost at the end here, folks. Verse 5 and 6. Has Paul made this very clear? I hope that when we walk out of here, we will not be muddled up. But I want to tell you, there are so many different interpretations of this. I didn't even try to do it this time. Sometimes I look at all the ridiculous ideas that people have and try to take this as an allegory and set it apart. And then they get into these verses and it's like, wow, I can't even understand that allegory now. And it's, that's why it's not an allegory. It was just saying, hey, I'll, I'll try to draw this a little bit closer to you, you know, what this is about. Now, so, he's going to get an explanation why our marriage to Christ is necessary. We were married to the law. We must be married to Christ. It's an absolute necessity. And he gives a negative, and then he gives a positive. Man, this was really fun to break down in an outline this week because it is so logical. Audrey, can you see how, you know, lawyers have to get everything all lined up and get it like verse by verse, don't they? And can you appreciate Paul? Wow, was this guy ever a lawyer, huh? Whew, the guy was good. Boy, you look at this and you can just break it right down and say, oh, here's it's in its simplest terms. Any kid can understand this. We have to die. You put a seed in the ground. It has you you have to put it into the ground. It has to be buried before it can come up and bear a flower or, or and or fruit, right? Christ, same thing. That picture, He had to go into the ground, He came back up, right? Same way with us. It's the, the death. If people can't get the death part that it's already happened, you're born twice, you die once. We die physically, we know that. But we died spiritually. We don't die again. Matter of fact, it's just as quick as this. We go from this life in the body to to be with God. Just like that. So the body dies, but we don't. We died once. That was the old man. 
So that's why I'm really hitting on this, folks, because one of these days, somebody like an Angram Watts is going to come right back through here and says, you have two natures and you have to battle this out between your two natures. You are two persons. Your old man still is alive. And I'm going, oh my, Anne. I've respected a lot of things that she said, but I have to tell it on her here because I hope nobody here heard that yesterday. If you did hear it, I would be proud of you and say, ooh, that is absolutely wrong. But see, we've been led to believe this all of our lives through a lot of this. And I'm not changing Scripture. I'm just going through with what we're doing and then what Paul is saying. There has to be a death before there is being married to Christ. Can everybody agree with that? So now we go into this explanation. This is real quick. Here's the negative. We're to bear fruit. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body, which we've explained that many times, and that will continue on in seven, to bear fruit for death. That's what we did. What does sin lead to? Death. For the wages of sin is death. It is useless. It's death. Worse than useless, right? So while we were in the flesh, before we knew Christ, the sinful passions, and we all know what that is. We all have those. It's the corrupted passions. It's a sinful nature. It's not the good law's fruit. Because the law is in everybody. Even the good laws of God. But you know what the law does? It just merely aggravates. It increases the sinful conduct. That's what the law does. It just stirs it up even more. So whenever your parents say, don't you do that again, the first thing you're thinking is, I'm going to do that again. You better believe it. That's because I want to do it. And that's natural, isn't it? That's, the, that's a great example of the sinful flesh. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 3. <laughs> this is so true. God just puts it out in front of everybody. This would be offensive to the world that we are talking about today, folks. How much would this offend an unbeliever? That's what it's supposed to do. So we speak about the law. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature. That's not my nature anymore. It's dead. It's gone. That Dennis Hilton is dead. My nature. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Do I have a child of wrath in here wrestling against the spiritual new man, a child of wrath in there. That's what Anne is saying. <laughs> I don't think she would say that, would she? No. I shouldn't pick on her like that. But it really just kind of gnawed at me all day after I heard that. Corrupted passions. The perversity of man just becomes worse. And if we had not been changed, folks, we'd be a lot worse than we were when we were unbelievers. Whether that be a little kid or just a little infant who wants what he wants and he doesn't care about you or anybody else. I want the milk. I want my diaper changed. Whatever. You know, you do this, right? Even an infant has that problem. Everybody does. So the law stimulates sin. That's what it says right here. You say, Dennis, I think you made that up, didn't you? No, it says it right here. The sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Hmm. Bearing fruit for death. We couldn't do good works. The fruit is not going to please God. And all we can do all the things that we want, good things for people, and if we're not of Christ, it is not pleasing to Him. Okay, the last one, verse 6. Here's the positive. It's about being released from the law. But now we have been released from the law. Having died to that by which we were bound, we died to the law. 
so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. And that brings the law back in, but it's good. It's a good thing. What is he saying here? We're released from the law. We can do it from the heart and the newness of the Spirit. There's a transformed heart here. And now we have a thing that really wants to do things for God. We're there to serve Him. Turn to Jeremiah 31. Oh, I love this chapter. I love Jeremiah 31. You know what it is? It's a new covenant. It's God's covenant that He has made with His people. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put My law... There we go. Within them and on their heart, I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be My people. That's the law that is now on the heart that you now want to obey Him. I want to do the things that are right. I don't want to do the things that are wrong. And when I do them, whenever I do those wrong things, I am guilty. I hate it. I don't like to do that. Oh, how I love your law. Look in the Psalms. Look in Psalm... Oh, 19. Look in, in the Psalms where Psalms 119, where you have the very word of God being spoke about. I love your law. David said that often. Do you love God's law? It's not a some kind of thing hanging over you, putting pressure on you constantly, and it's demanding you do this and you do that, and you know you can't do it. Okay. Right here at the end. You ready? What does to be free from the law mean then? And then you're talking about this law and it's in our heart and we're free from the law. What is it, Dennis? Here it is. You ready? Hang on to this. You can say, I don't understand a thing you said all day. <laughs> and if that be the case, I have failed. Or you are not paying attention. You're ignorant. No. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those... <laughs> you guys aren't ignorant. Matter of fact, thank you for staying with me on this because sometimes it can get a little rough. But I'm just showing that a little one can even understand this thing. And here it is. You ready for it? What does it mean to be free from the law? It's talking about... This is so easy. Ready? To be free from the penalty. That's it. Remember the condemnation that it does? We're free from that. The penalty. We're not free from the, the, the morality of the law because it's what God has put into us to do. But, you know, the law is not binding on us in that it condemns, but as now we're bound by that because that's where sanctification is all about. Did you know that sanctification comes as we hear the Word of God? as we read the Word of God, as we understand the Word of God, as we think on the Word of God. If you've been paying attention today for most of the time, did you know that you've been sanctified? Not by anything that I've said whatsoever, but by the very power of God's Spirit, because this is His Word. It's not about me. It's not about what comes out of my mouth, good or bad or whatever it is. Uh, hopefully it's all good based on this, but what counts is the Spirit of God is sanctifying us. He's making us more like Christ. The law is a reflection of God. Now we started off with, we're not under law. And now we're saying that the law is good and it's a reflection of His holiness, His righteousness, His goodness, His grace, everything else. The newness of the Spirit produces fruit that what? Pleases God. We've been delivered from the law's penalty, the condemnation, and now we have been brought to honor the very reflection of God Himself when we are in obedience. The reflection of our own God. This is the God we love. 
And that's the commandment. Love God. Do you really love Him? You wouldn't do anything to offend Him. Let's pray. Father, what a magnificent passage that you used Paul's pen to write this down, even though it's really inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's saying that we've died and we've come to life in Christ and now we look at the law in a much different way. And now it is to reflect the very beauty of who God is who's in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.